The Triathlon Show 357. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host, Michael, and on today's episode, I interview Olli Pekka Nautila. Olli Pekka is a doctoral researcher at the University of Jyväskylä, and he has recently published a very interesting study comparing uh, using block training, uh, meaning a two-week block of either increased volume, increasing the vol- your volume by 70% over baseline, or increasing intensity to five interval sessions per week. So we're really comparing two extremes in terms of volume increase or intensity in- in- increase here. But the findings are really, really interesting, and we discuss them and how they can be a be applied in the real world. But before we get into that, big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Fuel and Hydration. Precision Fuel and Hydration have a range of tools and products to help you personalize your fueling and hydration strategy so that you can perform at your best. Everyone sweats differently, both in terms of sweat rate, but also sweat sodium concentration. So hydration strategies should be individualized accordingly. And your fueling strategy will need to be adapted based on the duration and the intensity of exercise or competition, uh, but also on your ability to tolerate certain amounts and types of fuel. You can use the free online sweat test and the quick carb calculator on precisionfuelandhydration.com to understand your fluid, electrolyte, and carbohydrate needs during training and racing. And you can even book a free one-on-one video consultation with the team to refine your strategy. As a listener of the podcast, you can get 15% off your first order of fueling and hydration products by using the code TTS22 at checkout on precisionfuelandhydration.com. And thank you to Senate. The Senate Indoor Swim Trainer allows you to improve your technique, power, and swim training consistency. I recently caught up with the team at Senate and had a great discussion around what might be the most important benefits of using the Senate Swim Trainer. And consistency is an obvious one, but another one that came up in our talk was your catch, so the catch phase of your swim stroke. Practicing your catch when on dry land on the swim bench allows you to really work that proprioception and motor patterns to maximize your catch also in the water. And importantly on dry land, it's we have so much better proprioception or awareness of our proprioception and what we're doing. So working those neural patterns in can be really, really beneficial for improving your catch in the water. That's the number one use case reported by professional athletes using the Senate trainer that can swim however much they want, but they still find benefit in the specific purpose of improving their catch. Check out the Senate Swim Trainer and get a 20% discount on senateswimtrainer.com for slash TTS. And remember that you can get a full refund if you don't love it after two weeks. So now let's get on to the interview with Olli Pekka. Uh, just want to mention that we didn't have the greatest audio uh, connection and we also had one dropout uh, where we had to puzzle two different recordings together and hopefully we, we got everything and it's uh, understandable, but apologies in advance for the audio not being the greatest today. Hope you will enjoy it anyway. The research is truly fascinating and, uh, and I hope that it's, it is clear despite those audio issues. Now without any further ado, let's get into the interview. Welcome to the Triathlon Show, Olli Pekka. How are you doing? Thank you. Well, I got a little flu last weekend, but hopefully you can hear my voice despite that. 
Yeah, yes, we, we, we can, and hopefully this won't be too stressful and, and the voice will make it make it through the interview. Uh, can you tell tell us a little bit more about yourself, uh, your your academic background, and as well if you have any background in, in endurance sports or other sports? Yes, so currently I am doctoral researcher at the University of Uvascula, and my research topics... Uh, are mainly related to endurance training and endurance training monitoring and recovery monitoring. And so I'm currently doing my PhD thesis. I have already published three out of four papers. And in fact, I just yesterday submitted my last one. So let's see how that one goes. And uh, the goal is to finish my doctoral studies at the end of this year well that's that's exciting uh hopefully everything goes well with that last paper and uh dissertation um the the reason that i uh, first got to know about your research was a paper called physiological perceptual and performance responses to a two-week block of high versus low intensity endurance training and and i found it a really interesting study uh and a very practical question that hasn't really been answered too much so comparing because quite often we compare volume matched uh interval training versus just non-interval training steady endurance training but but very rarely you see that's not really how how it works in the real world in the real world if you train easier you can also train more so that's uh, kind of what this paper uh was trying to answer can, can you tell us a bit more about the background to this study? What uh, has there been previous research like this, and and what was there any other purpose than just figuring this thing out that I already talked about from my perspective uh, that led you to do this study? Yes, uh, I find it always very interesting to compare the effects of volume and intensity on recovery and training adaptations and so on and with this research we are talking about we try to uh, find answer to some questions i think uh, haven't been solved previously and as you said there are not too many studies done previously that have compared these type of blocks where training has been exclusively low intensity training and high volume or then this type of high intensity interval training and volume has remained similar so i think uh, that's the value of this study because uh, there was that that great contrast between these groups yeah did you have any hypothesis going in based on maybe not comparative studies but just in general knowledge from um, how participants usually react to intensifying training or increasing the volume did, did you think that one group was going to perform better than the other or was it uh, really uh, not not clear at all what was going to happen mm, i i think that high intensity block training has been more examined than uh, low intensity training and based on those studies it was kind of expected that maximal endurance performance would improve followed by that training period but then uh, it wasn't that obvious what would happen 
after this type of high volume training. And uh, typically, if volume has been increased, it has been increased via both high intensity training and low intensity training. So this was kind of uh, unanswered question also. How would this type of volume increase only via via low intensity training effect? Yeah. So let's uh, get into some of the details around the study and the, the methods. So maybe we first start with um, what what were the the outcome measurements, uh, the performance and uh, biomarkers and uh, and so on. Can you discuss the outcome measures that you that you assessed? Yes, so uh, 3,000 meter running performance was the main and the only endurance performance test that we did. It was done uh, on indoor track and then about the recovery markers, we measured heart rate variability and heart rate during night. And on the same days we did 3,000 meter running tests, we also assessed uh, resting hormone levels and also collected uh, nocturnal urine sample before the test day. And then we also analyzed subjective recovery every day, how the participants felt about their readiness to train, fatigue, muscle soreness, stress, uh, sleep quality. and then, of course, during all training sessions, participants wore heart rate monitors and GPS data was also collected. And uh, the participants, can you describe, first of all, how many participants did you have and, and what were the demographics and the, the level of the participants? Yes, so in the final analysis, uh, we had 15 participants per group and there were males and females, both in uh in, in both groups i if i remember correctly there was nine males and six females in both groups so and their level they were recreational athletes so they all were used to regular running training and have that kind of background that they have already been doing in rush training uh, and there i think we are two max was about 50 milliliter per kilo per men. Yeah, and their, the their, baseline. their baseline time for 3,000 meters was 12, 12 and a half minutes more or less for in both groups as yeah. well. Yeah, and, and of course, because there were males and females, males ran typically a bit faster than females. So I think for males, for example, it was about 11, the baseline for the 3,000 meter test. Yeah, and the same would would apply for VO two max. I guess maybe the males were yeah. I don't know fifty five or something. And yeah, yeah. Um, okay, but that's that's good. It's fifteen per group is is actually quite big for a sports science study. So so that's great. And and then let's discuss the training, the protocol. You started with a preparatory period. So can you discuss that and then go into the the main blocks and and how they differed? Yeah. That- that preparatory period was two weeks and the main purpose was to kind of analyze how how our participants normally train and also ensure similar background for all participants before our study period and 
participants were advised to continue continue their regular training in terms of volume, but intensity was uh, mainly only below uh, first lactate threshold. But one interval session was done to familiarize with that kind of training. One interval session per per week in in that period. Uh, only one at total. Oh, so only one total. Two okay. weeks. One. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, and and that session was I think it was six and three minutes with two minutes recovery. Best best yeah. effort. Yeah. Maximum sustainable effort. Yeah. So it wasn't like any heart rate target, but try to keep maximum sustainable effort through the training session. Yeah. So uh, let's then discuss the the actual study period and the training that was done there. So in the intro group, what was the training protocol like during that uh, period? Both groups have five weekly main sessions, and in interval group, uh, they were all those six and three minute intervals you mentioned, and so they performed ten interval sessions in total in ten weeks. And if participants were uh, in 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 how sorry in, in how many weeks? Two weeks. Two two weeks. Yeah, yeah. yeah so got five it. sessions per week. Yeah. And if participants were used to do more than five sessions per week, then those were also incorporated to training program as low intensity session or active recovery. But all participants had at least one rest day on the week. Yeah, and then the the volume group. What did their training look like? Uh, they increased their training volume from the baseline by seventy percent, and they also had those five supervised main sessions. And uh, there were four so-called basic sessions and one long distance session. And uh, on average, this long distance session was slightly about 20 kilometers i think it was 21 kilometers on average and the basic session was 13 kilometer yeah i i have the table with the the training stats in front of me and uh well looking at the preparatory period first uh both groups trained uh they trained about um five and a half to six hours more or less Per week, and which was basically 45, 45 kilometers on average per week. Yeah. Then, but then in the in the interval group in the study period, they still trained. Well, they trained a little bit less, five point two hours, and but fifty kilometers. But the intent, the volume group trained went from uh, from five point four hours in the preparatory period to nine hours in the in the study period, and they're running. Vo- volume in kilometers went from 45 kilometers to 77 kilometers to to give the listeners an idea of what that looked like in practice yes um okay so and and at what point did you do uh, the the test well you also had a recovery week which we should mention after the study period so uh what did that look like (coughs) so testing days uh were performed four four times in total during the study period. There was that kind of control test before the preparatory, then uh, pre-test, like the baseline tests, where then between the prep and block period, there was the first recovery week, in fact, 
after the threat period. And then immediately after the block, there was that one rest day, but then was the church uh, testing day, and then final port testing day was after the last recovery week. Got it. And and what did the recovery week look like? How how much did volume and intensity reduce? Uh, it was uh, minus fifty percent from the baseline, and it was similar. Uh, the both recovery weeks were similar, so that minus fifty percent wasn't from the block, but it was from the baseline of each mm. individual. And, and, and only only low intensity. Yeah, yeah, only low intensity training. Okay, uh, so then let's get into the results. Uh, first, we can discuss the performance changes. So the the three thousand meter test. What what happened in both groups? Yes, so both groups improved their three thousand meter performance immediately after the block, and there was no difference between the groups. So it was almost surprisingly similar. Uh, if we look at uh, percent change, it was about minus two in the world group and about minus one point five in volume group. So pretty sim- similar. But I think uh, in that article, it's interesting to look also the differences between individuals. There is that figure two where individual changes are illustrated. So yes. in both groups, there also were few individuals who did not improve. But that's, that's, that change was significant, of course, most of the participants improved their So looking at, looking at the individuals, um, it, it seems like in the volume group, there were more people that had a... A, sl- a smaller improvement that you could call non-responders, and in the interval group, you had maybe two non-responders, but the rest were uh, all responding well and improved significantly. Yeah, that is true. That there were more, more kind of trivial responses in volume group compared to interval. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, and what about other than the performance uh, mark? Oh, so so that was so. Uh, did did we discuss already? Sorry, did you you said the test results after the after recovery week and immediately after the uh, I right. just immediately, but then after the recovery week, uh, there in fact was no significant difference between the immediately after and the after recovery week. But of course, the uh, peak performance was better after the recovery week compared to baseline and the final. Adaptation kind of was then uh, minus two point five percent in interval group and uh, in volume two point two percent. And if we change yep. these to seconds, it was uh, nineteen seconds in interval and seventeen in volume. Okay, yeah. And uh, what about the other uh, the other outcome measures, the the subjective markers and the hormonal markers? What did you find with those? Mm, well, if we first look at the subjective markers, uh, I think we would have expected some increase in fatigue uh, based on previous studies, at least in, in volume overload studies, there have typically been significant increase in fatigue. And 
well, I I find that ready Mr. Train quite interesting marker since it kind of combines multiple aspects like how mentally ready you are and how physically ready you are. It may also be challenging challenging to estimate, but I find it interesting marker. But anyway, most significant changes were found in muscle soreness. And interestingly, it increased only in interval group. So in the volume group, there was no significant increase in muscle soreness. And in fact, during the recovery week, it even decreased compared to previous level. And so the difference was also significant in the change between interval and volume groups. Yeah. And uh, and the biomarkers, hormonal markers, uh, and so on. So, in hormones, I think most interesting finding was the change in uh, noradrenaline, which increased in interval group, and it was also interesting that it remained elevated also after the recovery week. There basically was no change during that, so it seems that it may take quite long period to fully recover from that kind of pain. And so in volume volume group there was no that kind of change in norepinephrine or any other hormones which we measured. Yep. Perfect. So so let's discuss these results a little bit more and, and here we can some of it will of course be more speculation than uh, actual like things that we know because we we will have to have to do that and and draw some conclusions uh but what do you think what is your basically your conclusions from from all of this when it comes to how this these results can be applied for endurance athletes at 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 a high level what would you say is the main takeaway Mm, well first of all i have to say that i was kind of surprised how well these recreational athletes tolerated both of these blocks and if we uh, think about higher caliber athletes i think they probably would have would tolerate it even better than recreational athletes so it seems that this type of blocks could be pretty effective method to improve maximal endurance performance and also quite rapidly yeah yeah uh two 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 percent in two weeks of in a two-week block plus plus a recovery week that's a really good two two percent is a lot in in endurance sports so uh so so that's great um what about when when comparing the two groups so of course we had a non-significant difference between the volume group and the interval group but that being said uh as we talked about a little bit you had more trivial responders in the volume group but at the, on the other hand you had more perhaps negative um other markers in terms of subjective markers and and biomarkers in the interval group so um when what can we say about which type of training is right at, at which point in time like when might it be better to do high intensity training when might it be better to do a, a volume training in terms of the these types of blocks Yes. Uh, first of all, it's obvious that you can't do this type of interval training through the whole 
rainy season and this two-week block was already quite big and in previous studies there also have been like seven-day shock microcycles and I think if we have shorter interval blocks that that may also decrease the likelihood of those negative responses we found in our study. And then on the other hand, as it seemed that uh, high volume training was better tolerated, it may be possible to do even longer volume periods that we used in this study, like three to four weeks. So, uh, so, so, and about the individual responses, as you said, I think if I have to choose between these two groups and the main target is to improve maximal performance, of course, it looks like that uh, interval training is more likely to uh, improve, like not just trivially, but significantly your performance. Yeah, and and that's very much aligned with what, for example, a lot of taper taper research has has shown already that when you're tapering, you do want to have that high intensity in your in your training, even when when volume goes down. So it's not really not really surprising. I, I think what could be interesting is to see could could the interval group have gotten the same results with maybe three interval sessions per week instead of five per week, or what is the the minimal effective dose of intervals yeah. uh, but of course there's a lot of things that that could be looked into fur- further and further <laughs> yeah and well about those individual responses another interesting finding was that uh, there were even four individuals in the work group that impaired their performance after the recovery week which was kind of weird and you would not expect that kind of result yeah about the recovery week um what what do you think about that? Because you said that there was no significant difference in performance after the recovery week compared to immediately after the block, mm. but there was a non-significant difference though. So I can't remember what the numbers were, but in the intro group, for example, it was 2% after the block and 2.5% after yeah. recovery week. So, so even though it's not statistically significant, there might be a bit of a trend that the recovery could help on average uh, with with all, all the caveats of individual yes. differences and and so on. Of course, but what, think, what do you think? What what do you think about the recovery week in, in general? There, mm, yes, I think one reason for those uh, weird responses may have been that they have uh, already needed some interval sessions during the recovery week uh, because typically it is suggested to have like maintained intensity despite volume is decreased during tapering. So as we did now, high intensity sessions, only low intensity training, it is possible that there was already some kind of detraining effect, especially in that interval group when they were uh, like accustomed to perform very, very high frequency, high intensity sessions. And I think most of those individuals who impaired were kind of high responders uh, on those immediately post-test. So, so they were like capable to tolerate the hit block very well and almost 
from interval session to interval session improve their performance. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that that makes sense. Sense that uh, if the recovery week would have included some intensity, then then maybe that would have achieved the best of both of, of both worlds almost. Um, yes. Uh, other than that, what 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 comes to mind to you when when you like if if you were coaching or advising an athlete? Uh, how would you incorporate these kinds of very specific blocks or would you or would you do it more traditionally with maybe a a mix of both and more steady volume what's your what's what's your thinking around that well i don't think i would do throughout the year this type of very very focused blocks like only low intensity training or only high intensity training but I think it's not that much studied how these type of blocks would work in long term. I know only uh, from study one case study from Brennestad et al. from cyclists who did like um, low intensity block, moderate intensity block, and high intensity blocks during one year, and those results were very interesting. So it would be nice to study that kind of aspect how how it would be if we like alternate these type of blocks between volume and intensity but perhaps this type of uh, at least interval blocks could be effective when you are peaking for your performance and i think that is like the most obvious use of that kind of block and then but the volume blocks, for example, training camps are examples when it would be easy to do that kind of high volume training and high quality sessions in group environment. Yeah, that makes sense. Makes sense to me, and also because the markers of recovery and and so on were better, then you could potentially have more of those volume blocks even in a long base training yeah. part of the year you could you could have many training camps where you where you do a lot of it and and it wouldn't necessarily require as much recovery and but then you want to be more careful about when you do focus in on the high intensity because the the recovery required might be or the the cost of doing that the are higher or seem to be higher based on the measures that that you had uh, in this study anyway so so that makes a lot of sense and and it's actually it's interesting i'm i'm doing another interview uh basically right after this one with uh luca filippas from italy who did a study that i've you probably seen with the different periodization schemes with pyramidal and polarized training test distributions and mixing and matching over 16 weeks and they found the same thing with doing the polarized training with high intensity towards in the second half of the periodization was more effective for 5000 meter performance probably because the same kind of peaking phenomenon that we already talked about closer to performance um yeah interesting so what uh what what else have you been doing? This is this is not on our list of, of questions, but I'm just curious. Uh, what are the other studies that you have been doing as part of your PhD? Just in in broad strokes, do you have any highlights that you can share from them? <laughs> uh, well, my first study was about uh, comparing different type of endurance training sessions and their acute responses and 24 hour recovery. 
Uh, so we did on the treadmill, low intensity, long distance session, moderate intensity session, high intensity session, which was in fact six times three minutes, as in this one, and then one supra maximal 10 times 30 second interval session. And uh, we measured counter moment jump, heart rate variability, and then some parameters during sub maximal running test immediately after and then 24 hours after the session. And what do you find? Did, uh, did they differ? Well, there were some differences. For example, it was interesting that those sessions uh, which decreased heart rate variability the most, which were moderate intensity and high intensity session, uh, those were then the sessions that did not impair neuromuscular performance in the counter moment jump test. So hmm. counter moment jump test was impaired after long distance and supra maximal intervals, but heart rate variability decreased less after these sessions. And well, another interesting finding was that sub maximal heart rate decreased after all sessions, 24 hours afterwards, but uh, RPE still remained elevated uh, after both interval sessions. So this was maybe kind of expected, but it uh, reminds that heart rate is not always that good marker of recovery or current readiness to trade, but you should always also use like uh, RPE or that kind of perceived exert and how it feels to run that certain speed. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, I, I think, especially in triathlon, where, where a lot of athletes are training at a high volume, I think it's much more... A high, seeing a high high heart rate, higher than expected heart rate, is almost a good thing because it indicates that the athlete is fresh to me. That's that's as a coach how I look at things normally. Mm -hmm. I mean, it could, could also be maybe that they had more coffee than normal, but uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm definitely never concerned or usually not concerned. Uh, all else being equal, with high heart rate, but low heart rate is a bit more concerning because that can often be an indication of of fatigue. Yeah, it's sometimes challenging to. Uh, no, it's positive training adaptation or if it's fatigue, but I think yeah. that experienced athletes would like recognize it. Yeah. What, what about the one you just recently sub submitted? Uh, you can probably not talk about that in detail, but, but what, what is the general theme of the, uh, of the study? Yeah. Well, basically it was kind of final for my thesis. So. The aim was to uh, put this information into practice we have gathered from these previous studies. So it was basically about individualized training prescription. And it was not just similar as those heart rate variability guided studies, but kind of similar, similar logic was different. Mm, very interesting. Looking forward to seeing that when, when it comes out. And um, I'll, are you on ResearchGate? Yeah. Uh, so people can yeah. So people can follow you and and see when when the study is out out uh, there. 
Great. And uh, well, is there anything anything else that you uh, that you would like to talk about this study or the other studies that you've done? And anything that we've or, or let's let's do one one final questions on it. If you have one to three tips that you could give endurance athletes, amateur endurance athletes, what what would those tips be? And this can can be related or unrelated to your studies. Mm-hmm. Sorry, one to three tips. What tips? Yeah, pieces of advice. Uh, well, I think first of all, the consistency of endurance training is perhaps the most critical factor if we want to see improvement in performance, despite the level of athletes. So if you Consistently train, whether it's polarized or block training or whatever, it is quite likely that you would improve your performance. And as has been in my studies, it has been pretty similar between increased volume and increased intensity. So I think the key is just keep training with high quality and then you sooner or later will get the reward of it. And well, then perhaps about the recovery markers that I have used in my studies, there I would say that you should not rely only on one marker like heart rate variability and only trust what it says, but rather try to uh, try to get like more broader view how do you feel what is your perceived recovery how is your training going and also of course heart rate variability is also a good marker and i think it has a clear advantage but uh, not used alone but also with other markers yeah that is great and uh, let's then go into the rapid fire questions. So take just one sentence to answer each of these. And the first one is, what's your favorite book or resource related to uh, endurance sports or science? Mm, I noticed that I'm not the only one who have mentioned this, but I think Alex Hutchinson's Endure was very inspiring and ice opening book for endurance enthusiasts. Yeah, no, I said it many times. It's definitely by far the number one, <laughs> the number one answer to this question. And for good reason, it's fantastic. Uh, what's an important habit that you've benefited from athletically, professionally, or personally? Mm, this may be a bit boring answer, but uh, I, I think that regular endurance training dose for me is good for my physical and mental well-being. Who's somebody that you look up to or that has inspired you? Mm, well, during my uh, junior athlete years, I I would say that Mika Myllylä was definitely my number one idol among endurance sports. And if discussing professionally, perhaps Stephen Seiler is a person who has done lots of very interesting and important work among endurance research yeah 
uh yeah Mika Millele was one of one of my heroes as well as a as a kid uh growing up and uh, being interested in in endurance sports and and uh, growing up in Finland as as you uh definitely a uh, great one um all right well uh researchgate is do you have any other uh, any other places where people can follow you are you on twitter or anything like that uh, yes i'm also twitter at op nutila so you can find me also there. perfect i'll have the links in the show notes uh, all right thank you thank you so much uh Olipeka, for coming on at the, uh, the show and uh, discussing about your studies and uh good luck with the final final push for your phd Thank you very much. I hope that you enjoyed that interview. As always, you can find the show notes on scientifictriathlon.com with links to uh, Olipeka's Twitter and ResearchGate, as well as the paper we discussed and uh, a previous paper that we also mentioned with uh, the different responses to four running sessions, different recovery responses to, to four different running sessions. Uh, we also briefly mentioned uh, a block periodization case study uh, in an elite cyclist that covered one more than one year, 58 weeks, and uh, that's by a, a case study by Rönnestad. I'll put the link to that as well in the show notes for those that are curious and want to read that paper. Next week on the podcast, I interview Dr. Luca Filippas uh, on a study that he did, which is really interesting, uh, on the periodization and or aspects of using pyramidal versus polarized training intensity distributions or the combination of the two. Fascinating stuff. And uh, Luca is also a coach, and we discuss some of his coaching methodology as well. He has some really, really good perspectives and, uh, and is a great guy to talk to. If you are looking to take your triathlon training to the next level, then please consider having a look at our training plans or coaching services. Check out all the information on scientifictriathlon.com. We've helped hundreds of athletes and we hope that you can be next and that we can help you achieve your triathlon goals. Big thanks finally to our sponsors, Precision Fuel and Hydration, that you can find on precisionfuelandhydration.com. Use their free online sweat test and quick carb calculator to understand your fluid, electrolyte and carbohydrate needs and book a free video consultation with the team to refine your strategy. Use the code TTS22 at checkout for 15% off your first order of fueling and hydration products. And thank you to Senate. Use the Senate Swim Trainer to improve your technique, power, stamina, and most importantly, your swim training consistency. Get 20% off your order on the Swim Trainer with the promo code that you can get on senatesimtrainer.com forward slash TTS. And don't forget that it's a risk-free investment. If you don't love it after two weeks, send it back and you'll get a full refund. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.